Hello, welcome. What's good? Today is September 5th, and you're listening to Ascension Run, a podcast about roguelike games and strategy. My name is Tone, and I will be your host. You may know me from the Tone Hack YouTube and Twitch channels. Today, I'll be joined by Dylan White, the sole developer of Rift Wizard. How's it going, Dylan? Hey, pretty good. How are you doing, Tone? I am doing excellent. Very happy to have you on the show today. Great to be here. And for anyone who doesn't know, Rift Wizard is a traditional roguelike that just was released on Steam this week, um, which is very exciting. And we're going to have a lot to talk about on that um, on the episode here. Um, but first, I want to have some quick inventory management and just say um, this is episode three of the show. Uh, the, throughout the first two episodes, the feedback has been great. The reception's been great. People really seem to be enjoying it. I'm so happy to see that. And if you guys just want to keep sending in feedback, comments, questions, and like just spreading the word, letting anyone who think you would think would enjoy it um, know that this show exists. Uh, that's going to help us grow and help me to keep um, providing content and keep improving it. I'm really, really excited to see how this show develops going forward. I'm going to move the news and other stuff till the end of the show or possibly future episodes here so we can really focus on the Rift Wizard discussion here while I have Dylan on the show. Um, so we're going to jump right into that. So Dylan, are you ready? Yeah, let's get started. All right. Well, um, as we just mentioned, it, the big release just happened. You've been officially launched on Steam. So how's the launch been so far for you? Yeah. Oh, it's been awesome. It's been uh, it's been super cool. You know, it's like as a um, this is the first game that I've ever released as a uh, I don't want to say solo dev because there is a uh, there's a guy who did the art and the music who is not me, but as a um, as an independent developer, this is my first game, and I had no idea what to expect from early access to full launch, you know, cause you could buy the game before full launch. And, uh, a couple of people did, but then, uh, you click this button on the, uh, the Steamworks UI and then it, it changes like a little bit of text and all of a sudden there are like thousands of additional people talking about the game and it's like super cool. That is awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a big moment. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, that's great to hear. That's super exciting. Um, we'll talk about more about the early access here in a bit, but I think we should um, just explain what Rift Wizard is for people who aren't too familiar with it. Um, so you want to share with everyone what Rift Wizard's about and um, why they should check it out? Yeah, I'll give my um, I'll give my quick pitch for Rift Wizard. So Rift Wizard, it's a uh, it's a traditional roguelike, and um, so this is a roguelike podcast. So I guess all these listeners are kind of familiar with what that means and all the baggage that comes along with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they'll know all the yeah. the basics. <laughs> okay, I can describe it in terms because I have I kind of have one pitch for uh, mainstream gamers and then a, a more specific pitch for uh, roguelike gamers. Yeah, we, these guys these guys are clued in, so you can okay. give us the second pitch. This is like um, so this is a roguelike which is totally focused around character customization and combat. Uh, you're always a wizard; it's the only class as wizard, but you can choose you can make your spellbook from this big list of spells. And you can you can get whatever whatever spells you want. So there's there's a massive amount of character customization, and then the like the gameplay of the game is just you are fighting very difficult, very very aggressive levels one after the others. Uh, the game is totally focused on building up your spellbook and fighting monsters. Uh, you know, there's no plot, no exploration. If you're into um, dungeon crawl, stone soup, and Cogmind and those types of roguelikes. Uh, this is definitely a roguelike to check out. It's got a lot of influences from um, some stuff outside of roguelikes too, like Magic the Gathering, uh, like Diablo, Path of Exile, Dota, stuff like that. It's, um, yeah, I mean, the joy of the game is just like trying to create these weird synergistic combo engines and then like 
pitting them up against unexpected challenges. I would say that's what Rift Wizard is about. Yeah, I, I would agree with that um, from my experience playing the game. And it, it's it's really original and unique for a traditional roguelike. Um, and, and so that it's got a lot going for it on that end. Um, it's got a completely different feel than your, your traditional, like kind of dungeon diving, like equipment gearing up process. It's got a lot of unique systems and interactions going on. Um, and it's, it's wholly original in that way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like, um, a lot of the way that I came at development was like, like I love dungeon crawl stone suit. That's like one of my favorite games of all time. And there are like moments that I've had playing Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup that have just been like awesome. Like I still remember a lot of them involve like blasting onto uh, the last level of the vaults. You know, the one with the Mm -hmm. uh, there's just like this massive horde of monsters. They lock the stairs and you have to like just come up with a plan to grab the rune and like survive. And so I kind of started with the idea that I would make a game very similar. But then there were like all these mechanics that like when it came time to implement certain mechanics, I was like, well, you know, maybe I want to do that one a little bit differently. And then once you like, once you make enough decisions differently than another game, like you've kind of gone off on this other path and then like, then you just start ha- having to do everything differently. That's funny that you mention um, Vaults 5 in particular and Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup because entering Vaults 5. Yeah, I didn't want to get the game... number because I knew I was going to get the number wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, Vaults yeah, 5 yeah. is the last one, I believe. And I think it is. It changes, I think, every, a couple, every couple <laughs> patches. Yeah, it might be different by now. I haven't played in a couple patches, be. honestly. Um, but yeah. yeah, entering that floor is a lot like entering a floor in Rift Wizard where there's a bunch of enemies around and, you know, in. Yeah. It's kind of 25 volts five. Yeah. That, and I've never made that specific connection. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, something that um, another player, um, ZXC, who is a, used to be a big DCSS player. Um, yeah. He had the longest like streak for a while. And I know he's a fan of Rift Wizard. Um, so oh, I think I've seen him on the Discord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that he had mentioned that I didn't really piece together. It wasn't really like wh- why I was playing Rift Wizard was that it kind of encapsulated what he liked about uh, DCSS, uh, which is like when you're in like a really tense situation surrounded by enemies and you have to rely on like very tactical gameplay and like turn by turn matters. Um, And Rift Wizard like really embodies that portion of the DCSS experience without all the the other stuff in between. And I thought that was like a really uh, astute observation. Oh yeah, that was the design goal. That was the goal. Was like take those tense moments where, like those moments where you're thinking, like, like should I use my bag of spiders right now? Because I only have one, and like you know maybe it's really useful right now. I know it's not going to be useful forever, but like will there be a better situation later? Do I have an alternative? Like how bad is this situation? Like I just wanted like that moment over and over and over again for Rift Wizard. Yeah, and Rift Wizard does a, a great job of that, especially. Once you start getting oh, into the you, higher levels. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, level one is not Vault 5. Level one is like a tutorial, essentially. Yeah, but by the time you get to like level five and then 10, five, like it starts, starts to get pretty, hard, yep. pretty wild. It just scales up from there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have trouble getting past level five. And and it has what, 25 floors? 25 floors, yep. Yeah, so it, it, it scales up a lot. Good stuff. It does. Um, cool. So we know you've, uh, I guess you've, you've played DCSS. Um, I'm just wondering, oh, yeah. um, beyond that, like how you got in the roguelike, what's been your kind of experience overall with roguelikes and I guess gaming in general. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, my first roguelike was rogue, 
which I played when I was like six or seven years old. I remember playing that on like a really old computer with my dad at the time. Actually, I think it was my dad playing it and I would like watch because I couldn't really, you know, I was like too young to really understand the mechanics of that game. Wow, you're an OG. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. And then, um, and then I played like a lot of other games. Like there weren't, I didn't play, I don't know if there even were that many roguelikes between like Rogue and um, the next one that I really played was NetHack. And that was like 15 years later in college. There were just, um, there were like a bunch of people in the computer science department at University of Pittsburgh who got really into NetHack. And I ended up hearing about it. And like the things I would hear about it, it just sounded like a totally different game than any other game I had. Played. Like people were talking about like cockatrice corpse handling, you know, mm-hmm. like the rules for like, we got to wear like this type of gloves and you have to have this herb and like, yeah, you know, then you can wield the cockat you can wield the cockatrice as a weapon, but like only in these conditions, and it's only effective against these monsters, etc., etc., etc. And I was like, wow, this doesn't sound anything like I. The games that I was playing at the time were like MMOs and action RPGs mostly, because I've always liked games with like cool spells. So I played a lot of Diablo two, played a lot of World of Warcraft, a lot of uh, Rift, uh, the MMO Rift, if you, you remember that one, Heroes of New Earth, etc. And then I started playing NetHack and I was like, man, this is like the thing that NetHack does that I think is so cool is it like puts more into a computer game than you can ever imagine being present in a computer game, especially if you're coming from AAA games where like everything has to have big elaborate art assets that take a lot of time to create. And especially back then, um, nowadays games are pretty big and give you a lot of options, but like, and and not as much as NetHack really still, but like back then. Um, like you said, coming into something with NetHack with like handling the cockatrice corpses and stuff was really a wild thing to hear about. Like what video games can actually do this. Yeah. Like, like you would look at the wiki and you're like, how is this wiki so big? Like, how is there so much stuff in this game? And I thought that was super cool. But then, um, so then after that, I kind of, I got into, I like heard about dungeon crawl through that, you know, played a thousand hours of dungeon crawl, heard about, uh, tales of Majael four. I played for a long time too which is kind of a cool game because it's like roguelike Diablo and I liked roguelikes and I liked Diablo. And yeah, I just, I played an, an insane amount of uh, Tales of Majel 4 and Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup. I think I played Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup for like 10 years. All right. So you, uh, yeah, you've got a lot of roguelike experience. That's awesome. I play, yeah, quite a bit. Like a lot of Rift Wizard is just like, I played so much Dungeon Crawl and then I started like, like you run out of Dungeon Crawl, you know? Like Mm -hmm. you play every background, you play every race. And then like you start wanting, like you start thinking like, well, what if dungeon crawl worked in a different way? Like what if the areas were different? What if the spellcasting system was different? And a lot of Rift Wizard was like, just trying, again, trying to take that excitement from dungeon crawl stone soup and like redo some of the really basic assumptions and mechanic from dungeon crawl, mainly stealth actually. Ah, I'll give you my spiel on stealth and dungeon crawl because this is uh, interesting and kind of controversial sometimes if I say it wrong. Awesome. I'd love to hear it. It's um, so something I would say, something I realized when I was designing Rift Wizard and thinking about dungeon crawl was um, like dungeon crawl is much more of a stealth game than people realize. Like stealth is a very important mechanic in dungeon crawl, even if you're not playing a stabber, even if you're playing like a wizard or a um, like a berserker. Like the noise mechanic and having the cost of a lot of the tools in your toolkit be they will aggro and attract additional enemies is like very essential to how dungeon crawl works. 
And like one thing that always frustrated me in Dungeon Crawl is I always want to like blast into a level guns blazing, like use all my most powerful spells and powerful tools and like get into these terse tactical situations. But the, a lot of the best Dungeon Crawl players I know, they play the way to play it is like super careful and patient, which like, like I didn't really enjoy playing the game that way, even though I knew like in many situations that's the optimal play. I like didn't want to make that play. So that was like a big influence of um like Rift Wizard has no stealth mechanic, for instance. That's like a really big difference between Rift Wizard and Dungeon Crawl. It's like every enemy in Rift Wizard instantly aggroes you. And like like if that's how Dungeon Crawl works, it would be a it would be a completely different game, you know? Yes, yeah, so in Dungeon Crawl, it wouldn't be it's not uncommon at all for like a player to stand on the stairs when entering a level and then just have their character scream for like a hundred. Oh turns yeah, yeah. And try yeah. to attract every enemy that's within like the radius that can hear their <laughs> scream, so that they can like slowly pull enemies like one at a time and <laughs> and not have to like go yep. out and yep, actually yep. get sworn by enemies in other ways. And that's like at high level play, like doing stuff like that to kind of not get like ambushed by a ton of enemies at once and just like kind of pick off one enemy at a time. Um, is a, yeah. a key thing and that sounds like it falls right into like what you're saying yeah totally that's like not the um like for me that's not that's like not the fantasy of playing these type of games it's like i don't i don't want to like stand on the stairs screaming and then like run up the stairs and then go down a different staircase and then like bypass the level completely or something that's like that's so disappointing for me when i learned that that's the best way to do it and it's i think it's really hard to like balance like the more complicated your ai mechanic is the more the more difficult it is to like make things like this not work. So that's something I thought about quite a bit in Rift Wizard development. Yeah, and that really shows if you've played the two games. That's really interesting. Yeah. Like one thing, like to give Dungeon Crawl some credit though, because I don't want to just like, you know, I don't actually think Rift Wizard is a better game than Dungeon Crawl. I just think it's different. This I think that playing like the Enchanter Stabber class in Dungeon Crawl is so interesting. It is like like you could not like Rift Wizard is the game I made because I want I felt like I wanted a better experience as a wizard in Dungeon Crawl. That's kind of how it started. But if I started from the perspective of I want a better like enchanter stabber experience than Dungeon Crawl, that's like impossible. Yeah, that's that's not really a play style that's a, available to you in Rift Wizard, is it? Oh, I just mean like if you were designing a game and you were like, I want to make a roguelike where everyone is like a stealthy casting stabber character i think it would be hard to do a better job than dungeon crawl oh i see and and i know exactly what you're saying too because i've played that that character and it is a, a lot of fun yeah and especially once you get like a few of the the basic pieces together where you can like really get that build online it's so satisfying to play oh and it uses like it uses every mechanic in in the game like you it uses the melee combat it uses the spells it uses the items yeah, it's just like a very I feel like that's the best way to experience Dungeon Crawl. But hey, enough about Dungeon Crawl. I want to stop <laughs> I, got, I should stop talking about Dungeon Crawl. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about your game. Why not? <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Um, well, before we get deeper into the Rift Wizard discussion, I, I wanted to talk to you about um, if you wanted to share any of your experience with game development prior to Rift Wizard, um, since this is your first uh, real game that you're releasing onto Steam oh, yeah, as your yeah, own personal sure. project. Yeah, I have like a weird I have a weird history um in terms of in terms of game development and in terms of like software development before Rift Wizard. I, uh, so I worked as a software developer for about 10 years before I, before I made Rift Wizard. 
about 50-50 in games versus non-games. I won't say too much about the non-games jobs, um, but the games experiences were pretty interesting. So I worked at ArenaNet for a while, which is the company that makes the Guild Wars series, which is one of my favorite series of all times. And I was super happy when, uh, when I got a job there. And I ended up working on Guild Wars 2 like right after launch, did a lot of work on the skill system, on the skill scripting system. And that was a really cool experience because I got to see like how a AAA MMO implemented a bunch of really complicated skills and spells, which had always been something I was interested in in video games. And then after that, I ended up taking a corporate job for a while. And then I came back to the games industry and I worked at Riot Games for a while. And I worked on the movement networking code for Valorant which is their uh, like tactical shooter. It's kind of like Counter-Strike, but it's got a, a bunch of spells and abilities instead of just um, smoke grenades and flash grenades. So that was pretty interesting. Though in both of those jobs, I had the title of gameplay programmer. So I was always much more, I was always exclusively on the technical end in those. I was never like uh, involved in the design of any of those games, except, uh, you know, except by like incidentally being able to talk to designers. That was like the extent of my design experience. So, but I really did want to make, um, like I'd always wanted to make games that were like my own games, games of my own design. So that's how I eventually ended up, uh, making Rift Wizard. It seems like you really got to tap into that outlet in Rift Wizard because there's a lot of design elements into those. Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely more of a design project than a technical project. Like Rift Wizard, um, it does not have, there is the only complex coding stuff in Rift Wizard is the level generation, I think. I think other than that, it's like a pretty simple piece of software. Yeah, then it feels like you just add layers and layers to it by designing spells, designing enemies, designing consumables, and it just creates like a, a complex game on top of it. Yeah, yeah, la yeah. Like the layering thing is um, like one thing I really wanted to do with Rift Wizard is like, make it so that you, I could just add stuff to it. And the stuff I added would like interact and synergize with everything that was in it. And like, you know, make it so that adding one passive skill to the game might take me, you know, that might be like one day of dev time. And then it would give like a player, you know, four days of different things to try. That was like, that was the dream with Rift Wizard. Yeah. And it, it totally achieves that. Yeah. it's It was great. I remember like when it first started. So like, I remember when it first started achieving that. Like there was a point where Rift Wizard was not interesting. And then at some point it had like enough spells and upgrades and abilities and enemies to be interesting. And it was like, whoa. Awesome. I want to pick your brain about the that process of designing these spells and everything here a little later. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's sure. That's super interesting. Okay. But that's a, that's a cool backstory. For sure, yeah. So we, we talked about this a, a bit already, um, but do you have anything else to say on like how, how you came to want to create Rift Wizard and the process of starting it and actually like making the jump to designing your own game? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it was, I just like, I started to have more and more ideas about like what type of game I wanted to play and like no one was making this game and I felt like no one was going to make this game unless I made it. And then I started feeling more and more like, um, like other people might actually want to play this game. And that like, I might, like, I would look at, um, I would look at like Steam Spy and I would see like, oh, you know, like Steam Spy thinks that various obscure, 
Uh, the game I'm thinking of is uh, Dominions 5, which is not a roguelike, but it's um, it's like a really obscure 4X game with roguelike elements. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No, I don't think I've heard of that one. Oh, check it out. Check out the Dominion series for sure. If you want like a really obtuse, hard to play strategy game, it's uh, it's quite something. Really obtuse, hard to play strategy game sounds right up my ally or my alley. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, it's like Civilization for people who play NetHack is what it. <laughs> that's what the Dominion series is. <laughs> that's awesome. I'll definitely like, check that out. I looked on the Steam Spy and I realized that like people had actually bought this game. Like there was actually a market for like really weird super complex games and i felt like hey like maybe like maybe i would be able to support myself just like making this game and selling it and yeah then i eventually uh i uh actually the way it happened was i i told my boss i wanted to quit and he told me to just take a leave of absence instead which i didn't even know i could do i didn't know that was an option <laughs> so i took a leave of absence where um it was like two months and like the first day of my leave of absence leave of absence I just started uh I just started like coding the game as fast as I could. And then I had like a, I had a prototype in two months. The prototype was the prototype had no graphics. It was all ASCII, but like you know, I had in my imagination I could see what the dragons looked like and everything like that. And then by the end of two months, I was like, yeah, this, you know, this game is like really awesome and unique and like I have to just keep working on this. I'm and then I quit my job and started working on it full time. That's so cool to get the opportunity to to just get two months to to do that and not really have the pressure right up oh, front. Oh, yeah. Well, it was like unpaid, if, to be clear. Right, <laughs> right. But at least you have something to come back to if you feel like it's, it yeah, it wasn't worth yeah, continuing. Because totally. um, that totally. could be a lot of pressure otherwise. That's that's awesome that you got that opportunity. Yeah, that was great. That was great, actually. Uh, yeah, so, so Rift Wizard... Uh, at the top, I had mentioned this, that it's really unique for a traditional roguelike. Um, so it, that's kind of weird. Yeah, why, why do you think that's weird? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, just Rift Wizard is kind of weird. Like, there's a lot, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. so it adopts some board game style mechanics, such as removing the line of sight in the fog of war in favor of giving the player full knowledge of the map, which is a pretty big deviation from almost any traditional roguelike I've played. Um, a lot of games roguelike adjacent that do this start to feel a little more puzzly, which Rift Wizard definitely has those elements. I think most turn-based tile-based roguelikes um when you get deep into the tactics and like thinking turn by turn do start to feel a little puzzly uh, but i don't think rift wizard strays too far in that direction um enemy actions are nearly fully deterministic uh, there aren't dice rolls for combat things hit they do a set amount of damage um, so there's not a lot of randomness um, in that area right up front the player has full access to their build well you need like Rift Wizard's version of experience points to actually select things, but you don't have to unlock equipment or have like a, a tree to go down or like prerequisites or anything. Uh, once you get the points to to buy spells and skills, you can just take them. Um, there's no classes, as you said, everyone's a, a wizard. So that kind of shifts um, a lot of the randomness and strategic decisions to the selecting the levels, which I don't know if we touched on it, but uh, every time you finish a level in Rift Wizard, you get a selection of which level to go to next, and you get to peek into the rifts, and you get to see what types of enemies are on those floors and what kind of rewards there are going to be there. Um, that's a really critical part of playing the game. Um, and and the, the consumable resources are really important as well. So clearly you have a lot of traditional roguelike experience here, so we know now. So did you know from the start that you were going to be creating a traditional roguelike? Um, were you... 
just making whatever game you wanted with like the rules that you kind of wanted. And then it kind of happened to end up as a traditional roguelike. And how aware were you of like the similarities and deviations from like the, the real traditional, traditional roguelike formula, like DCSS and such throughout the development. And did the, your awareness of those boundaries help shape the direction of the game um, during development? Yeah, that's an interesting, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. That's uh here's how I would answer that. Here's how I'd answer that. So like, I always knew that I was going to make a roguelike and there were a couple of reasons that it was going to be a roguelike. One reason was just, I had at the beginning of the project, I had one programmer and zero artists. So like the game I was going to make had to be mechanically interesting. It couldn't be interesting for any other reason. And the mechanics that I was really interested in when I first started working on the game were spells and items. Items didn't make it into the game. So the the first thing that I implemented was I just started implementing like, I implemented the absolute simplest combat system that I could, which was just creatures have hit points and spells deal some number of damage. And I, I had this like vague idea in my head that I might add like some randomness, like two hit randomness or like dodging or evasion or like maybe spells should deal like variable damage, but it wasn't like very high priority. And I just never got like around to adding complexity to that part of the game. Because like the thing that I was, the thing that really made me enthusiastic about the game was making spells. So like I spent all this time just making, you know, I had like a hundred spells. And by the time I had like a hundred spells, there like wasn't even room to like fill in complexity underneath the spells. Because I already had like this like elaborate balance of all these different spells that worked with fixed amounts of damage without really any complicated, um, you know, with one spell equals one turn. Like one thing that uh, a lot of roguelikes have that Rift Wizard doesn't have is they have um, like cast times and like different movement speeds. And I just like, like most of the mechanics that other roguelikes have that Rift Wizard doesn't have, I like vaguely plan to add eventually, but then I just, I never got around to adding them. And I felt like there was so much stuff in the game anyway that like I didn't need to add those. Like, I kind of came at Rift Wizard from the perspective of, um, like, roguelike is the template and, like, the formula that I'm using. But, like, above all, I just think of Rift Wizard as a game. I just think of it as, like, like the way that I would think of, of any other game. And I kind of, like, draw upon my experience, like, all the conversations that I've had with people in the games industry working on many, many different types of games. Like, at ArenaNet, I even, and at Riot, but especially at ArenaNet, I had a chance to talk to a lot of people who worked on like hundreds of different, all, all kinds of different games. And they're like, they're like a lot of universal problems in game design. Like, um, like how do you teach the player what the player is allowed to do? And like, how do you decide what the player is allowed to do? Like, what are the actions that the player can take? I think like where my philosophy was very different, ended up being very different from many traditional roguelikes was just, um, just like thinking about the game a little bit more as a generic game. Like I didn't think of any, I didn't feel like I had to follow any of the rules of roguelikes. I just felt like a lot of the basic things that roguelikes did were cool and were things that I wanted to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And like we were kind of talking about earlier, or at least my opinion is that Rift Wizard is very unique. And I think that's where it comes from is kind of, there's a template there, but you don't adhere to it um fully oh, and for sure, like, try yeah. to fit it into this box you try you just let it be its own thing and um you can look to those templates for inspiration and um as like a guideline i guess one 
like one additional thing I would say is like, like you mentioned um, stairs. There are like a lot of things. There are a lot of mechanics in Rift Wizard where I kind of took the mechanic from traditional roguelikes, but then I like, I feel like the mechanic was broken in traditional roguelikes, like stairs. Like I think stairs are a very broken mechanic in Dungeon Crawl and in in NetHack and in Tome and in like almost every game that they're in. So like the rift system, the system where you can like look through the rift and see all the things in the next rift. And like once you, you know, once you're in the rift, you're there was kind of like, it was just like me trying to solve this problem that like, like I didn't know what the solution to that problem was because I've never, I hadn't like seen another roguelike that really solved it. I think Cogmind actually might solve that problem. I think Cogmind just has one-way stairs and you know, they never like explain to you why the stairs are one way in Cogmind, or maybe they do. Maybe they're portals. I forget. But um, yeah, like stairs are the perfect example of a mechanic where I felt like there just wasn't, there isn't really a good solution to like making stair. Like I think Dungeon Crawl has messed with stairs a lot. Like creatures coming up stairs if they're adjacent to you, and they're like all these special rules about stairs. So like I knew that stairs in particular was uh, a mechanic I wanted to like really iterate on and think about and do differently. Yeah, and stairs and dungeon crawl are definitely a point of contention. Um, oh, I know yeah. Some of the variants do a lot of things to to change like the balance yeah. and mess with how players use stairs. Um, th- there's one that, I don't know if it's still like this, but at some point, like there was a chance if you took a stair, it would just randomly teleport you somewhere on the level instead, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense in like game terms but like yeah. mechanically it, it it solves like a bit of a problem where people would use stairs as like a a powerful choke point yeah like stairs turn out to be it's like the most powerful one of the most powerful tools you have available is like getting rid of all the monsters chasing you and that's you know that's stairs yeah because in, in most roguelike games like if you're not on a level like nothing happens on that level or like it's almost like it doesn't exist and being able to yeah yeah i mean rift wizard works like that too mm-hmm. Being able to be surrounded by monsters and all of a sudden they're not there um, is pretty powerful. And and yeah. I shouldn't characterize all roguelikes like that. Like Brogue will have monsters chase you upstairs, um, although they're extremely powerful in Brogue for that same reason, because you can lure <laughs> um, range monsters upstairs yep. <laughs> to chase you. Um, so they're very powerful there. Um, Zorbis, which is a DCSS-like um, game in a lot of ways um, well actually Zorbis just made that same transition um, in an update a, a month or two ago where you can't go back upstairs um, I think that was partly because I was abusing that too much <laughs> <laughs> you just can't you can't do it at all anymore uh, yeah I haven't had a chance to play nice. the new update um, it's been under uh, there, it's a huge update it's been under yeah. development for a couple of months um, and a big a lot of balance changes and I'm pretty sure that was one of them where stair sure. progress is permanent and but even before that um, it would have monsters follow you upstairs um to an extent so yeah some some games did allow for that but yeah i forgot that the latest update i'm pretty sure it removed that completely as a well, the hard design and balance decision like this is the hard thing about um about game design is like um like you couldn't make that change to dungeon crawl because dungeon crawl the entire game is reliant on the ability to like you get the you get the uh, what is it the the orb of Zot is that what it is in Dungeon Crawl? Yeah, I might be confusing Dungeon Crawl and Rogue. You get the orb, and then you have to walk up all the stairs, back through all the areas you've explored, back to the start of the dungeon, and like that mechanic. It's like once you put the me- a mechanic into your game, you start like designing other mechanics around it. 
like Rift Wizard does this too. Like um, once, you know, once I decided they were going to be rifts, I was like, I was trying to solve the problem of like, well, what if the rift just teleports you into like a totally disadvantageous position? And then like, you know, then the game is stupid because you like start next to three trolls and they all just like melee you to death. And like, you can't go back up the stairs, which is like in Dungeon Crawl, what you would do if the stair is really bad is you just go back up the stairs. And that's like, like that's how I arrived at the, um, at the mechanic where you can deploy anywhere into the level that you want. There's also, there's a lot of laziness involved in Rift Wizard design, actually. There's a lot of decisions <laughs> I made where like, like one solution to that problem would be to like write a bunch of code into the level gen algorithm that tries to like create a safe space and like moves the monsters away and like checks the line of sight of the monsters. But like the easiest thing to do is just let the player, like give the player the agency on where to, where to spawn. Yeah. I mean, you're a wizard. It makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it's a portal, you know, who knows how the, how a portal operates. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a really cool element of the game too. Um, it's a big strategic element there and it, it feels like you're, you're putting down your pieces in like a board game or something. This is really neat. Yeah. 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 The board game puzzly element. I like, I definitely think of like one way that I think of rift wizard and as, as games in general is like, this is an algorithm that generates interesting puzzles for the player to solve. And I feel like rift wizard succeeds if it's generating in, interesting puzzles and it fails if you're just like mindlessly grinding through it. Awesome, yeah, that's um, that's really interesting. And the you're, you're you're spot on with the the thing where like you can't just remove stairs from DCSS at this point, really. Yeah, because yeah. even if you're not consciously balancing other elements of the game, like around the fact that stairs exist, um, but for a game that's been played as long as that has, like players use stairs now and if you do remove something as powerful as them from the game it shifts the balance of everything else totally um, in a way yeah, that yeah. it would take a extremely long time like everything else in the game would really need to pass through um, for balancing because um, all of a sudden oh, totally, yeah. players are going to be dying a lot more in situations where they can't use stairs and yep. um, you're gonna have to you know shift other things around to to keep the experience enjoyable and not feel like you're just getting um, like bad rng and losing outside of your own agency um, once you do something like that yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Agency. That's interesting that you bring that up. That's like something I've thought about a lot with Rift Wizard. And I think Rift Wizard has some cool tricks for like making you feel like every loss is your fault and making you feel like you could have done something differently. The biggest one being, I think, choosing between which Rift you want to go to and then choosing where you want to deploy into them. And then, of course, also being able to choose whatever spells you want. Yeah. And in a way, Rift Wizard gives the player like pretty much all the agency that they agency. can have and <laughs> and at that point you can't blame the game for anything <laughs> yeah it's i think the biggest problem like too much agency is is me that's like one of the biggest problems in rift wizard is like new players come into the game and then they see this list of like 300 spells and they're like all right which spell do i get you know and how do they know you know <laughs> like they can read like some players will just choose something that sounds cool some players will literally read the tooltip of every single spell the first time they start the game. And it's, uh, you know, it's a lot easier in a game. Like, it's easier in Dungeon Crawl. You know, I keep harping on Dungeon Crawl because I've played thousands of hours of Dungeons of Crawl, of Dungeon Crawl, where you, um, you know, you pick a race, you pick a class, and then, like, you have a spell or, or you have no spells. Like, you have a small set of tools and you're slowly gaining more versus, uh, yeah having everything available from the start can be hard. Yeah. And, and that was something I, I specifically wanted to to talk to you about. So let's, let's get into that now. 
um, sure, we're already yeah, yeah. leading into it. And and yeah, so the the decision to give the player full access to the the entire spellbook from the very start of the game, um, it is it's something people talk about a lot. I don't want to call it controversial. Um, uh, maybe you yeah, would view yeah. that differently, but it, it's something that and I, I've seen a lot of discussions on the Discord about that people want you to not give them that yeah, <laughs> the spell yeah. book. I've seen people like <laughs> like begging and pleading to like to to remove these spells and only give you access to like ten of them, at least for your your first so many games, or make the let people unlock spells as they play, which is like the whole. Um, if you want to talk about controversial, let's talk about well, let's not, but meta progression sure. and roguelikes meta progression, yeah. is a. Uh, is something that people were like asking you to to bring in, and and part of that is actually because I think Rift Wizard actually attracts a lot of people from outside of the traditional roguelike genre, partly because of all yeah, the totally. originality and unique uniqueness that it has. Well, and it has graphics, and it's on Steam, which is like um, that you know that just naturally attracts more people than like these super obscure games that um you know some of them have graphics that aren't animated, some of them are just ASCII, and like like I love those games, but uh. I think the audience is the audience for a game is much bigger. If you like even Rift Wizards two frame animations just make like so many people more like more curious about it. Uh but yeah, getting back to the the um kind of the meat of the question, which was about like uh the open spellbook and having the ability to choose any spell at any time, that is that is the mechanic I have been most uncertain about for the entirety of Rift Wizards development. That was like there has always been a camp of people that love that. And there's always been a camp of people that hate that. And I have even like on the beta branch in early access, I like experimented with like taking that away and seeing what the game is like. If you can like only get spells from spell stores that have like, you know, three, three to four or five to 10 spells or some number. I tried at one point I tried um, on in, in early access. We tried out only being able to buy spells when you were on the corresponding spell circle so like if you're on a uh, conjuration circle is the only maybe that's the only time you can buy conjuration spells oh i remember that because I, I was playing yeah, yeah. actively at that time um, I, I remember yep. some heated yep. <laughs> heated discussions around that one definitely <laughs> so ultimately ultimately there were there were two factors that made me settle on the open spell book so number one is just um like that's the way that the game launched in early access and like the people who like that mechanic are the people who play the game and like it's just kind of a bad community building business decision to like make a game advertise the game attract a bunch of people to the game and build a community around it and then dramatically change it because like maybe there were people who didn't like the open spell system who and maybe they didn't become fans of your game but they're probably they're not going to come back and visit the game just because you like changed how it work, but then like all the people who do like how your game works, you know, they're going to leave if that, you know, if that, if that particular aspect is what attracts them. So part of it was that. And then, but then the other really big aspect is like the open spellbook mechanic is a big part of what makes Rift Wizard unique. And um, like, I want to make a game that's unique and original. Cause if you make a game that's like, you know, like all the other games that are already out there, then there's, there's like, there's like no reason for you to bother. You know, there's like no reason for you to make that game. There's no reason for anyone to play that game. So I think like having something unique is, uh, is really important. And then actually the, the third reason, which I'll, um, we kind of touched on earlier is like by the, by the time I was experimenting with removing that mechanic, 
I had already built every other mechanic in the game around that mechanic. Mm -hmm. So like, like circle, the circle discounts where you can stand on a circle and then you can learn spells or upgrades of a certain class for one SP cheaper that like, that's kind of based around the assumption that you can learn anything at any time. Um, the whole idea of like having these different rifts where the rifts have tough and powerful monsters, but like every monster has a counter and, and correspondingly every spell that you can buy has a monster where that, that monster doesn't care that you have that spell and that spell is almost useless against that monster. And then you can, you can hoard skill points and the more skill points you hoard, the less risk you run into of coming to a level where you can't afford the tool that you need to make your build able to overcome that level. That like that like whole mechanic and family of mechanics and balance decisions, it like doesn't really work if you get rid of the open spellbook system and go to a more like, I don't know, like a more drafting style where you get like a booster pack of spells. And you have to like choose a spell from it. So that's why, like, I ultimate. That's why I ultimately decided to um to go with the open, the open purchase system. But yeah, that was the biggest. That was the hardest decision of the entire game. I, I can see that, and I'm glad you stuck to your guns with that because I think it's really it's a cool part of the game, and, and as you said, it's a big part of what makes Rift Wizard unique. Um, and oh, oh, I'll tell you a fun development story. Actually, we were talking about fun development stories earlier. Yeah, go ahead. That was not the original mechanic that I made the prototype with. The original mechanic that I made the prototype with was uh, you would come to a level which would have a spell shop and you could spend gold, which was a currency that you would pick up off the floor of the dungeon, which you know doesn't exist in the game anymore. But you could spend gold buying spells. And one thing that made me very nervous about, uh, about the open spell buy system is like all the players who were really into the game initially well at one point all the players who were really like advanced players had started by playing that prototype like i don't actually know what it's like to learn rift wizard with the open spellbook system and neither do like a lot of the the really old testers because like this system where you just find small collections of spells and you read the tooltip for each one you decide which one you want that is like that is a much easier way to learn the game and that is how a lot of us learn the game so i felt i like almost felt hypocritical going back to the um like going to the open spellbook system where you can buy anything at, at any time because that's like like I've never I I am incapable of testing it that way, you know, because I've like already had my first impression. So that was like one of the most interesting and difficult aspects of of going with the open spellbook system. But I do think it worked out in the end. I think it's really unique and interesting. That is really interesting to hear that it it started the other way. Yeah. I think by the time I got into Rift Wizard, which is, you know, when you launch into early access, um, it had the, yep. the full spellbook system. It did, yeah. It, it seemed like a lot of players that were playing it really enjoyed that system. Um, and if you took that away, totally, I think yeah. you would have lost a lot of those players. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what's really cool is, so I, that system, to an extent, makes the game feel, that's a little bit of a sandboxy element. I mean, you're still restricted yeah. to what you do, and like the spell circles, like you mentioned, do give you incentives to to not yep. buy whatever you want whenever you want. Um, they do kind mm -hmm. of point you in a certain direction and add some um, RNG to like what spells you're going to be getting during a run. Yep. Um, 
especially now that you can't look two riffs ahead because that almost gave you like a lot of um, authority to choose like yeah look, yeah look for those um those circles and and kind of pick things a few riffs ahead that was the other big hard change that i had to think about during early access that was um one of the hardest things to remove that one i that was that one in the end i did remove but that was like for a long time, players had gotten used to being able to look two rifts ahead and have like very acute control over what they faced and what kind of loot they got. So you added that change right after um, my last like stint of playing a lot of Rift Wizard actively. And oh, interesting. So that was like a like a month or two ago, maybe. It wasn't terribly long ago, yeah. I think. Um, and I was actually like kind of like very against that change many people were yeah yeah because i thought that being able to look multiple riffs ahead so how it works for people who don't know is at every level gives you like two to four riffs i i think and usually like yep. you just have like three is like the average and Generally three, yeah. so you can peek into the riffs and you, you get to see the whole level of the next floor you get to see the what enemies are on the floor what consumables are there and then there's either a shrine which gives you like very powerful spell upgrades or like a circle which gives you a discount on a certain school of spells so selecting which level to go to um, is a really important part of your your build and your strategy and how you're going to play the game now how it used to work and worked through most of early access was that each one of those three rifts we're just going to take the average here that you could look into yep. would have another three portals in them that you can look at those and see, you couldn't see the maps, but you could see what was in them as far as enemies, rewards and such. So, I mean, you're looking at, you basically have 12 portals in front of you yeah, <laughs> um, that you could look at and kind of decide how you're going to path. And you can use that to avoid enemies that are, are bad for your build, or you can use it to yeah. seek out rewards that are really good for your build. Um, and I, I thought that was like, since you have all of the spells available to you to start, I thought that was like the biggest element of strategy and decision making. One of them that the player has or for like longer term like strategy and not just like, you know, tactics like on the map in front of you. And I, I got to say. So I just played this change for the first time this week after the full release. Yeah. And from the first level, I looked into a portal and I saw those question marks instead of like all the data about the portals. Yeah. And I was yeah. instantly sold. It, it feels really good in practice. <laughs> like, I, yeah. Just yeah. The, the overhead I mean, of like, yeah. And just the flow of playing through the game and progressing feels so much better without having to look ahead like that. I, I think it was a great decision. I mean, you just, you, you totally described like um, my feelings and opinions on it as well. Like, I had thought of that. So I thought of that as like this really cool extra layer of strategic decision making that was in the game. But then like I noticed that um I noticed a couple things. I noticed players had a very easy time making a super one-dimensional build and then avoiding everything that could counter that build because they were always choosing between like 12 different rifts and 12 is like such a high number. And then I also noticed that like I didn't have fun looking at all the 12 different rifts. And I would actually, when I played the game, I would just not scout two levels ahead. I would, uh, I would just look at the level and then like not bother to scout two levels ahead because I found that to be a really bothersome annoyance. And then I felt like, like I shouldn't ship a game where I'm telling people that the optimal strategy and like the best way to carefully play the game is to do something that I don't want to bother to do. That would just be 
I, I thought that would be a very hypocritical thing to do. So that was like the biggest motivation I had for removing that is like, I just, I, I just didn't want, yeah, I just didn't want to do that. I didn't want to look at all 12, 12 rifts. I just want to like buy the spells I want and then play the game. And if I get into a difficult situation, that's actually like, that's actually what I want to do. Like I want to be put into a difficult situation. Yeah, totally. And I'm telling you, man, like I was sold from the first level, just, just picking where I was yeah, going from so level funny. one to level two. I was like, <laughs> this actually feels great. Like, I, <laughs> and it was funny because I, I just oh, thought it was too, such yeah. a bad idea um, when I was like reading the discussions uh, when you were like considering implementing that and, and stuff. Um, but no, I think it was a, a great direction. And and something that you just alluded to is in a way it's, it has more strategy now because you could kind of make the same one dimensional build before and yeah. then just be, by being able to see multiple rifts ahead, you could just avoid the ones that were problems for your build anyways. Yeah, that was a bit. Yeah, that was, that was a big factor. The, um, the experience of like wanting to do something and then like a lot of people telling me they didn't think it was cool or they didn't think it was a good idea is like, um, that was one of the most interesting experiences just as a game designer, making a rift wizard. The first time that happened, here's another fun dev story. I was, um, so, you know, the game has three tiles, three types of tiles, floors, walls, and chasms, right? Mm -hmm. Floors you can stand on, chasms you can't stand on, but you can shoot over, walls you can neither stand on nor shoot over. Like really early on, I got really excited about adding chasms to the game. And I was telling my, uh, my one friend who, play, who was playtesting the game a lot that I was going to add chasms to the game. And he was totally unenthusiastic about them. He was like, I don't know, like a new type of tile. Like who cares? You know, just give me more spells or give me more monsters. <laughs> but then like the first time he got to a level with chasms, he was like, oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, that's great. And, and yeah, the chasms are that's a huge element to the game and a fun one. And it especially is, when you yeah. have interactions with ranged enemies versus melee enemies and flying enemies. And... Yeah. Yeah. One feature that I kind of always meant to add to the game, but never did. And, you know, maybe I'll add in a future patch or like maybe save it for a sequel or something was um, a type of tile, which you could see through and shoot through, but not walk through like um, bars or something. I don't know how I would even conceptualize that mm -hmm. like a window, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a gate or something, yeah. Gate, yeah, something like that. That could be interesting, I think. And, and then, yeah, you you ended up building on the chasms and actually all those those three primary um, tile types for terrain um, have spells that target them. Like you, there's yep. a there's a spell that lets you teleport from being adjacent to a chasm to adjacent any tile that's adjacent to a chasm anywhere on the map. Um, Underworld passage, yeah, yeah, which is really cool. Um, yeah, and it has that one. limitation, but it's like easier to cast than like a full on teleport spell. Yeah. And there's it's also a lot more charges like the, the one that creates like an explosion out of a chasm volcano. Yeah. 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 So being able to incorporate those elements into the, the spells is really cool. Yeah. I think it's really important in game design to just like think about what are like, like what are the pieces in your game? And then make the pieces all interact with each other. And like walls, chasms, and floors are very basic pieces in Rift Wizard. Yeah, I never really thought about that. That's really all there is. But yeah, if you make them all interact with the other mechanics and elements of your game, um, it it it's like almost like the the possibility space just gets like exponentially larger. For sure, for sure, yeah. Awesome. That's that's really cool. Um. Oh, and so another thing that happened relatively recently with the the spell book is. So mm -hmm. I was always 
I always preferred not having the full spell book. Um, and I was even like talking about like, I'm just going to play with my own challenges where I'm going to like just remove a oh, portion yeah, yeah. of the, the spells so I can, cause, cause I like having to be forced to build around things. And Rift Wizard actually yeah, has yeah. plenty of that. The more I play it, just through it's very subtle with the encounters you're forced into and the shrines you yep. find and stuff will to exactly, like capitalize yeah. on them. Like you'll want to build around them and it'll force you to make decisions based on those. But um there's none of that in the spell system. You have access to all the spells. And yeah. you eventually added some modes that that give that to the player. And I don't, I don't, I don't know how loud sure. I was. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you ever heard me talking about that because it's. I actually jokingly refer to them as tone mode <laughs> because I. Yeah, that's what I've been wanting really from the like beginning. <laughs> and and it's so it's so interesting because those like there is a game which is very very similar to Rift Wizard and it's almost like adjacent in terms of design space, which is Rift Wizard with a limited spellbook. And and I was like, all right, you know. It, it took like 10 minutes to add that mode to the game once there was like a mode system and everyone was asking for it. And like, I think it extends the playability of the game for a lot of people by like, you know, a hundred hours or so. So I figured I might as well add that even though that's like not, even though it's not like the emphasis of Rift Wizard, it is like interesting to kind of see the what if. This is like a thing for me since you entered early access like a year ago. And yeah. And I, I, I knew that a lot of people liked the game as it was and that you really couldn't just change that because yeah, yeah i think i was in a minority but um i would get a lot of enjoyment from it and so would other people and the game's still fun and it's it's base mode it's just something that i i like a little bit more most of the time interesting um so you originally added that that thrifty wizard mode which there was thrifty wizard yeah, yeah. which cut down the amount of spells you could have by quite a bit yes but it also um cut down the amount of consumables you could have which made it like a significant sure. challenge mode because you can only have one <laughs> of each consumable, right? So you can only have one mana potion. Yeah, yeah. And usually having a stockpile of mana potions is kind of critical to your success. Yep, yep. So that was like a, a huge challenge just on that part. Yeah. So it almost made it hard to play just if you wanted the the spell portion. Yes. And then you added, I think, the improviser mode, which cuts down a big Limited chunk of... Limited spellbook, I think? Uh, oh, oh no. Improv There's an improviser mode too. Yeah, I know what you're talking about now. So that cuts down the number of spells you have and the number of skills you have. Because uh, so for people who don't know, Rift Wizard has as, as many skills as it has spells, and skills are kind of like passives that enhance the spells you have, essentially. Yeah. And so that that's the mode that I play the most right now. Interesting. Um, and and I really enjoy that. And and part of it is actually just because the spellbook is so big, and I actually play and enjoy Rift Wizard a lot different right now than any other roguelike I play. Because um, I actually am not focused on like winning the game at all. I'm kind of focused on digging like deep into every element of the game, and, and part of that is like I kind of want to die to every monster once <laughs> because like, yeah, yeah, the monsters do things, and like kind of how we were talking about how like everything like interacts and stuff. Where yep, you can read the description of a monster, and, and the game is completely open with with all that stuff you can read what the monsters do before we have to face them it'll tell you everything about them that you could want to know um but yeah you can like read okay this monster does this so i'm gonna approach it like this 
But until you're actually facing one, that like list of mechanics and stats may behave way differently than you were expecting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of them like start to snowball like out of control in like ways that you couldn't anticipate yes. <laughs> and become like overwhelming. Oh, so yeah. that's part of like, I just want to die to like every enemy once. And the other thing is I want to kind of like just completely build like all in into like every spell once. Yeah. Because most of the spells, even like the ones you start with, can become very powerful if you upgrade them. Every spell has like lots of upgrades. Yeah. Um, that you can do and they become very, very strong. Like even if you build into like the low level spells. Yeah. And there's a lot, it's always, I feel like it's, it's always, well, I try to make it always possible to like orient your whole build around like some, like every, my philosophy is that every spell, even the ones that look terrible, there should be one way to like make them awesome. So like some of my favorite spells are things like um there's a spell Plague of Filth. I don't know if you've used it. It summons it summons a lot of very weak low hit point monsters. Yeah. But it summons a lot of them. So if you can like figure out a way and let, so it, you can't if you just like cast that spell, it it probably won't do that much for you, but you can like combo it with stuff. Like Icy Vengeance, the thing where when a creature dies it deals ice damage to something is pretty good with it. You can like buff it up with uh, what's what was it called in game? Boiling blood, I think. Make them all deal a bunch of extra damage. There are like all these different ways that you can like buff that spell up. So I've played a lot of runs myself, just like trying to make that spell good. Because I was I was kind of like I've kind of never actually been sure if that's even as the developer I'm like not even sure if that spell's good. So it's like I don't know. Yeah, I love I, I just love playing runs like that where I just try to figure out if there is a way to make a seemingly bad spell good. I find that really, really fun. And I see a lot of players doing that too, as like self-imposed challenges. Like I'm going to beat the game with literally only this spell, which is like a little above and beyond like what you really need to do in the game to build around a spell, but it's just like to prove a point. For sure. Yeah. 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 The one spell runs. Yeah, totally. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to, to see what you can do with each spell. And, and most of them are, pretty darn powerful on their own if you do want to build around them and especially once you start incorporating other synergizing spells and skills um, because a lot of them have synergies that you wouldn't really expect oh for sure yeah i find that um like one synergy that i think is really good that i never see anyone do is just like thunder strike with summons just like stun things while your summons kill them Mm -hmm. i I find that like very powerful yeah it sounds like a fun one there's so many there's so many synergies like the whole point of the game was like i want I want this game to be like, it's like, I want to put a lot of stuff into a small box, you know, like I want to, I want to make this like puzzle box that has all of this intricate complexity, which is not immediately visible, even though a lot of the complexity is visible, but then there's like even more underneath with the, uh, the synergy and the combos. And I love that stuff. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, I I enjoy playing the improviser mode and then just picking a couple spells to build around nice and nice. and I, I feel like if i just do that enough i'll i'll learn every spell an enemy after 100 games or something you know yeah and totally yeah, yeah from there i might open it up and start playing with the full spell book having full knowledge of it um but i found that like super enjoyable and it's it's interesting because that's not how i play most roguelikes i, I usually start digging deep into like, oh, what do all these skills do and, and stuff like that. I mean, I do that in other roguelikes, but not in the, quite the same way I do in Rift Wizard. And it's really enjoyable. And then, yeah, you yeah, added the sandboxy. limited spellbook mode, which is basically the same thing as that, except you have access to all of the skills. So for players who know what all the skills do, totally, yep. um, it just gives you a, a small selection of spells to start with. And then you can, um, you know, back them up with skills, which which works really well because... 
Uh, when you have the random selection of spells and skills, sometimes you there's so many like like misses on what can actually affect the other ones because like yeah totally you might get the the Lord of whatever school um, skill which like bolsters like a certain Lord of Fire no fire spell e- yeah. exactly which that, that kind of just feels bad from a player um, perspective at at times so yeah um, I, I think it's really cool that you added all these modes and not even just like the one like you could have stopped at Thrifty Wizard but. You actually gave all these players the option to play the game like they want. And I, I think that's like the best of all worlds because people can play with every spell or they can play with different variations of limited spells. And I, I think pretty much everyone's needs are really captured in, in all those modes. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm super into experimental game design and just thinking about like, you know, what would this game be like if this one thing was different? So for me, it's like, it's just very cool to like see people play, see people play these modes that are like, I don't actually play these modes that much myself, but it is interesting to see them play and like come up with totally different, like totally different ways of playing the game when the rules are slightly different. Mm-hmm. And I love rolling a new game with improviser yeah, and just seeing what spells I have. Sometimes even I don't have time to like play a game. Like if I just like stop to run and I have to like go get dinner or whatever sure yeah i'll I'll just i'll just start the next like game look at the spell list and i can think about it for the the next day oh man that's awesome pick it up and and you know it's just exciting that kind of reminds me of like when you're playing like brogue or something where um the first few levels you kind of get a lot of the critical pieces of your build um and it kind of defines the direction you're going to be going and i kind of get that experience from it and that sensation I, i really enjoy that yeah, I love like one another design goal I had with Rift Wizard is like I wanted to make a game that inspired the player to be creative. I feel like like that is something that a lot of a lot of roguelikes do, but games outside roguelikes do not do that as much as they should. Like watching people just like whether it's putting together a build based on what circles and shrines you get or just putting it together based on like super hard restrictions from improviser. I think it's uh I think that's like a really interesting thing that you can do in a game. Yeah, it's it's like pretty much at the core of rift wizard it's really really cool aspect of it definitely definitely so one thing that i see like pretty much unanimously is and especially like when rift wizard just came onto early access and kind of started becoming seen like in the roguelike community yeah is that it's it's very praised for its it's overall like aesthetic the music and sound design um people enjoy and just the the style of the pixel art and the sprites and the animations that you mentioned before like such a nice touch um, are are all like really cool aspects of it um h- how did all that come to be oh yeah yeah that stuff uh yeah there's another development story for that so the game started off as an ascii prototype using uh libticot you know if you're familiar with that library just going basically i went through the uh how to make a roguelike in python tutorial on rogue basin and i actually i had a prototype it was all ASCII, but it had like a nice kind of art style to the ASCII. Like uh, there were like a fireball would kind of have this like lurping, tweening, fading red circle effect. And it was actually visually very, very pleasing to watch. But I was I was pretty committed to making this my full-time job. And I knew that meant I would have to like sell copies of the game on Steam. And I was not confident that I could sell any copies of an ASCII game on Steam so after I had like the basic gameplay down, I started looking for um like looking for an artist to collaborate with and trying to figure out how to like like how to make basically a t- how to make a tiles mode for the game. And I ended up meeting K Hoops 
through through my friend Jacob, who was the main um, the main play tester of the game at the time. And we started working on, I made like a very simple, like tiles display code. And then we started just prototyping stuff. And it was actually very scary for me because the first visual prototypes did not look better than the ASCII. And like at first, like I remember Jacob admitting to me at one point, he was like, yeah, I just, I know the visual tiles mode is available, but I play the ASCII right now because I prefer it. And I'm not sure why I prefer it, but I do still prefer it. And I was like, wow, that's like really interesting feedback. So we, um, but we iterated a lot on what the art style would be. Like I knew, I knew I wanted something simple. I knew I wanted something minimalist. I knew I wanted something retro. Uh, we did experiment. So the tiles are all 16 by 16. We experimented with 32 by 32, which looked more like, um, that was more like a kind of a Genesis Super Nintendo look. We eventually, we kind of moved from just generic retro to like specifically like early 90s, like Apple II style, like stark outlines, like a very specific type of retro computer graphics look. And once we kind of, like one rule we had in the beginning is every enemy should have two colors in it. That's like, um, I mean, we didn't have that in the very beginning, but then we added that rule. And then K-Hoops went through all the sprites and like made that true. And suddenly the game looked 10 times better. The sprites didn't all look better individually, but the game looked 10 times better as a whole. And then actually, so then the enemies started looking good. Two of the hardest sprites for us to pin down were the original wall and floor sprites. Because like, I don't know, you don't think about those sprites much. Like the floor sprite, it's just like 20 random dots, right? But like we spent so much time like thinking about the spacing of those dots and making it look like number one random but also number two, like um, you still want to be able to kind of see the grid and like see where each tile is. You don't want it all to flow together. Yeah, you you redid all of those at one point during early access, didn't you? Oh, I don't know if the game was out in early access that, at that point. We did, um, I remember early in early access, the chasms would be filled with various liquids. Like there would be lava levels and water levels. And then at one point in early access, I realized that the levels with black chasms looked almost universally better than the levels with liquid in the chasms. And we just got rid of the liquid in the chasms. Oh, cool. Yeah. There was a lot of, there might've been, I don't, I don't think we redid the, uh, the wall tiles in early access, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm misremembering. Um, I, I vaguely remember some changes to the way the walls were. Um, maybe I'm thinking about like how, oh, how you redid the, um, like the monster the gates, gates or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that one. We did a lot of uh, iteration on that too. Because they used to blend into the walls. Um, they were kind of hard to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there would be a lot of players would like think they had finished a level and they'd be confused and then monsters would start popping out. It was very frustrating for them. <laughs> and I don't know if we touched on it, but um, monsters spawn from gates almost like uh, like in Gauntlet Yeah. Um, in this game. And that's kind of like the, the hunger clock and, and part of the strategy is you got to kind of fight through these monsters while getting to the gates uh, to make sure they stop yeah. spawning. Yeah, the game doesn't have a food mechanic but it it does it like like there's no you know you don't find like pieces of chicken and cake on the ground but you do uh it's like all about limited resources and um trying to overcome like some people find the game very stressful because you're essentially you're competing with something that has infinite resources with your finite resources and you have to like quickly destroy these gates and get the situation under control yeah you're constantly under pressure in in a way totally 
Yeah. And I've had games where I'm like, okay, this is the perfect choke point. Nothing will be able to harm me here. I'm going to, I'm going to plop down right here on this level and I will kill everything that gets to me. But then I could never get out and get to the gates. (laughs) So the choke point thing was actually a big problem early in development. Early in development, I didn't have the spawners and I would like watch my, I would watch my friends play the game. And they would just stand in one place and funnel everything through a choke point and then the fireball at it as it went through the choke point. And I was like, that's, you know, that is not like the image I had in my head was like a wizard, like running around and teleporting places and thinking about positioning and everything. So the gates were, um, the gates were my solution to that. And I'm not sure there's any, it would be hard to solve that problem in any way except gates. The gate system is really cool because you, you have to maintain position to, to fight the enemies that are coming for you and that are around. And if you're out of position, like you're going to have a, a bad day against a lot of enemies, but you, you have to move and explore and progress to get to the gates yeah. to actually destroy them. Um, so yep. it's this like push and pull um, about like how, how to actually do that. And that's definitely a really cool element to the game. Yeah. I think the most fun levels that I've ever encountered are the ones where you can just barely kill monsters as fast as they come out of the gates. And you have to like find some creative way to like, like maybe there's like a monster that your build isn't very good against and you like kite it around a chasm. And then like, I don't know, another monster comes out and you either swap that monster and then you go kill the gate with your fireball. And then you like slow, you know, you find some scrappy way to kill that monster kiting it around the level. Yeah. I've had a lot of fun, fun runs like that. Fun, fun levels. And you're like really limited on spell charges in, in this game. So yeah, uh, to to have to fight lots of monsters on a level, like you want to get to those gates as soon as possible so you don't have to use more spells to defeat the monsters that are coming out because um, that can really snowball into you having no resources for the next level very yep. quickly. Oh, totally, totally. Um, well, that, that was a fun tangent, but... Um, <laughs> 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 did, did you have anything else to, to mention on the sprites? I don't even remember where we left off on that. <laughs> oh, the sprites. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think we got everything. Yeah, the main thing was like, I just, like the, the game that I wanted to make was like, all right, like when I was a little kid, I would play games like, like Ultima or like, uh, you know, the Exile series, like these really like lo-fi RPGs. And I thought they were awesome. I loved those games. And what I wanted out of those games is I just wanted those games to be bigger and have more monsters and more spells and like more things I could do. And the games industry kind of went in a different direction. Like the mainstream games industry really went in the direction of like improving the graphical fidelity and then adding a little bit of gameplay on top of what was there, but like not, not to the degree that I had imagined was inevitable when I was a kid playing these games. So like a lot of what I wanted to do with Rift Wizard was just make a game that went in the other direction. So part of the inspiration for the graphical and sound aesthetic was like, I just want to start with like, like start with some of those really early, like the really early PC games that I played and like how they looked and how they felt and just like make the version of that game that like in my imagination as a child, I thought that game should be. That's awesome. And and yeah, Rift Wizard has such a distinct style to it that really, it's like inseparable from the game to me at this point. Um, and it really enhances the mechanics. Yeah, like one part of my philosophy with the uh, with the graphics is that like the graphics and also the lore of the game, what lore there is, like everything there exists to kind of explain the rules of the game. 
and everything there is like like a dragon should look like a dragon because you should know as a player that it's going to breathe a cone of fire and like you should look at it and you should know that it's going to fly and like i think having these really simple sprites and then also having monster concepts that are um especially in the early game kind of like obvious and understandable i think it like really helps you focus on the complexity of the spells and the spell system because like you look at a some of the monsters are quite complex, but you you can use the sprite to like convey a lot of that complexity to the monster to the uh, sorry to the player. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I I can get into the the mindset of just looking at a a roguelike as like a just a box of mechanics to yeah. to learn and um, to experiment within and exploit. Um, and it's really cool when the the aesthetic of the game and the art can can enhance that. And that's a cool point that you you mentioned there about how you can actually ease the player into the game so that they can use their their kind of preconceived notion about the world or yeah, about exactly. about the world that they think Rift Wizard is, um, drawing from other similar lore. Like you know, if you know any fantasy game, then you like you said you know what a dragon is, um, or like you have yeah. like the slimes. You can look at them and you know it's a slime before yeah. you even see it and the slimes will split yeah what does a slime do it grows yeah yeah exactly and it grows and you probably can't poison it and that's like those are the that's the mechanics of a slime there there are other wizards that you run into and they cast spells it's like you you can infer a lot of this without even reading about what they do just by looking at that tile yeah that's um yeah i think like understandability and recognizability is the main the main driving force behind most of the aesthetic creative decisions in rift wizard it's very utilitarian very like um like the art is almost it like blurs the line between art and UI design. Absolutely, yeah, and it, it it works. It works really well. Yeah, I had I had a an anecdote about the dawning of that on me in Rift Wizard, I think, or oh, like yeah? just w- one moment uh, where that was like really emphasized and and came into view for me. And I, I was I was playing on one of the early ish levels, and I went into level with gnomes, yep. which are kind of these like adorable little critters that run around the map and I, I i read what they were and they have like a shield and they 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 can summon like other enemies and stuff and i was like okay well right right look at these these um little <laughs> cute gnomes i'm just gonna well they're kind of garden gnomes too they're garden gnomes that some plant summon plants yeah exactly so i'm like well I'm, i can i don't remember what spell i had but i was like i'm just gonna blast these guys and yep um, they have the shields. So I have to like blast them twice or whatever, and Probably, then yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll be on to the next rift. This will be an easy one. Yeah, yeah, dude. Those guys ruined my day. Like they started <laughs> summoning those plants, and all of a sudden, like I didn't have enough firepower to kill uh, yeah, them. Yeah. And then another gnome would show up, and like because they have that, right? that yep. one shield, like I couldn't the cut them down shield? enough. Yeah, and yeah. then they summon more plants, and I just didn't have enough like AOE to like deal with everything. And then I, I realized yeah. that they're they're actually just like. They're not these like adorable little gnomes. They're like smiling and they're just like these <laughs> smug little bastards that are just there to like ruin your day. <laughs> yeah, the gnomes are one of the uh, the most hated monsters in Rift Wizard. And, you know, I say most hated, but that means that like they're the best designed, basically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, if they can like invoke that that visceral reaction from from the player, it's not, it's a real achievement. Yeah. They're not like unfair, you know, because they they only have like six hit points and one shield, so they die in two hits to just literally anything. And then, um, 
the plants that they summon are they're super weak too you know it's like a i forget the stats i think it's like an 8 hp stationary unit with a melee attack you know and what's so cool about gnomes is your ability to kill gnomes is very very volatile depending on what spells you have like if you bought fireball first gnomes are no big deal if you have lightning bolt gnomes are no big deal if you have magic missile gnomes are the hardest enemy in the early game you it is so hard to kill gnomes with magic missile yeah i think i had magic missile when when i first ran into them that makes sense that makes sense because you that's a a single target spell so and you you have to hit them twice because of the shield to kill them but by then (laughs) do they summon more than one plant at a time i don't remember uh they just do one a turn but it's every turn so yeah if you can only target one tile per turn then you're basically at a stalemate just attacking the one plant they summon every turn yeah you basically can't keep even if there are two gnomes and you have magic missile you're going to be surrounded by like five thorn plants by the time you uh by the time you kill a gnome yeah and like you said you need like the aoe fireball so they're actually like really easy to deal with if you if you know what they can do um totally yeah and and that's one of the things where like even reading like what they did i was like okay this should be fine but no Heck, yeah. heck no, that was that was a problem. So now whenever I see them, I'm like, I, I'm on to you, Gnome. I see you, little adorable <laughs> critter with that smug smile on your face. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're thinking. And there are a million solutions to Gnome, like Fireball, Nightmare, Lightning Bolt. There, there's many ways to deal with them. But you ha- it's like, it's just a really cool part of learning the game, I think, is learning how to deal with, especially monsters where the challenge they present is something other than immunity to your to to the main element that you're using i think those are really interesting yeah troublers are the other uh the other enemy in that in that category by the way i never thought of the troublers like that but yeah they they fit that to a t as well (laughs) well troublers used to spawn a little bit earlier and people really really hated like a lot of the a lot of the complaints i would get were about troublers early on people were like what the like what are these monsters doing in realm five yeah, the, the the troublers, they just like teleport you away from them, right? They teleport you to a random space, which may be closer or farther from, uh, from them. But it has a pretty good range to it. So it's kind of hard to like actually get to a Very position long where you can fight them. Uh, yes. so and if a troubler gets into a big chasm, that's like you're in trouble there. You want to like uh, avoid that if possible. Yeah. And it, that was, it was just neat to see how like the tiles can inform the gameplay in a way that just yeah. looking at the mechanics and understanding the game do not. I'm like, okay, these are simple little guys. And it's like, no, there's <laughs> this is a, are, this is are. a trick. It's a ruse. <laughs> these guys are <laughs> are more than they're, they're tricky. They're tricky fake creatures. You know, they just want to play some pranks on you. Like they just want to, uh, they just want to annoy you. But like the annoyance that they pose is actually quite deadly. Yeah. And I, I just, I just thought that was awesome. I, I love that part of the game. Yeah. By the way, did you know I I worked with K Hoops on a a bit of a custom tile set for Rift Wizard? Oh, for the um, I think you told me didn't you get like a custom wizard icon for your stream or something? Yeah, have you seen that? Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I have seen that. That's I think that's super cool. That's like that's the best part of just um having a lot of the assets of the game be like PNG files instead of some like you know proprietary archive that no one knows how to how to mess with is people can just do weird stuff like that. I wish, um, like I wish I had made more of the game easily modifiable data files. Then it would be, uh, oh, so people like I mod enemies and stuff. Cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be cool. Exactly. <laughs> no, that, that was, that was a fun project. And K hoops was a pleasure to work with. 
Um, and, he is, yeah, yeah, he totally is. But yeah, I made the the Rift Rogue, which is a, a little rogue guy with a dagger, um, <laughs> and then even has the lightning form and slime form sprites. Um, and it, <laughs> oh, I didn't know he made the lightning and slime form. That's yeah, like, we got all the the player forms, and then um, I made like a we did like a goofy one where. We have the salt wizard, which is it's the the rogue character again, but he's like doing like the salt bay pose. <laughs> so he dances around the map. <laughs> what is I don't I'm too old. I don't I don't even know what the salt bay pose is. Oh, it's like it's like a meme for <laughs> it's just like uh this chef that he has like a restaurant and he makes like steaks and he does this thing where he like pours like the salt on the steaks. <laughs> and so it's kinda like this thing like if, if someone's being salty, <laughs> you're like I see, I see. Throw in the salt bay. (laughs) Um, Have you seen that one? I'll I'll link you to the tiles if you're... (laughs) If you haven't seen them in a while. There's like a goofy tile set. Yeah, it's been a while. The slime form for the goofy one is like uh, Dragon Warrior slime. (laughs) Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that was a lot of fun. Um, And I made those publicly available to people, so I'll link those if anyone wants to mess with them. But yeah, I thought that, that was a fun project. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm totally. I totally endorse modding and messing with Rift Wizard. It's um something I want to look into making easier in the future as well. Awesome. Yeah, I, I never really thought about that, but but if it was easy to like add monsters to the game and stuff, that would be and like maybe even like create your own spells somehow. That is probably a step harder, but um, it'd be really cool to to give players yeah. like the ability to do their own little mods and variants and stuff. That would be super cool. Like, I don't know exactly. My, I don't know exactly how that would work with like the coolest, the coolest form of that would be um, Steam Workshop integration where you can like browse a list of mods and then click a button in Steam and then like install that mod in your game and try it out. That would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be the most accessible to players. I don't know if that's possible, but that would be really cool. Yeah. Like um, the weird thing is like, like the game is all just Python code. Like even the monsters are just like, like every monster, there's a Python function that like makes a unit and then gives it a name and gives it all the other properties that that monster has. And like having people like write Python code and distribute it to each other and then like execute code that each other have written might pose security problems. I'm not, I'm not totally sure if it's possible to get a lid on that, but that's definitely something I want to look at at some point, especially now that the game has more players. Mm-hmm. That, that could be a cool aspect. Yeah, that would be super cool. All right. So uh, every game nowadays seems to handle early access in entirely in its own way. There's like no rules to early access. And I, I actually kind of view it as like the wild west right now and i'm actually fascinated by how every game approaches it because it's always completely different even if you just look at the like the traditional roguelikes that are on steam right now and how they've handled their early access periods there's like so many different models and and ways that people are handling it so i'm kind of curious uh why you chose to do early access um how you what you anticipated to get out of it from the start and how you like plan to incorporate that into your development model and if that shifted or like how much value you feel like you actually got out of it in the end and if you would do that again for another game oh for sure yeah yeah um yeah i mean for me like early access is a pretty natural it's it was pretty natural for me to do a progression from like first i made a game and i like sent it in a zip file to my one friend and then i like then I got a few more friends interested in it. Then I started like posting the game as a zip file on a Google Drive and distributing the link to my friends. And then like, you know, I I got to the point where I had a group of friends that all thought the game was pretty cool, but like I wanted to start getting feedback from people who are not my friends, people who I did not, you know, have some pre-existing relationship with. So I think after that, I did 
I did do some closed beta testing via the uh, the roguelike subreddit where I just I just made a post and I was like, hey, I'm uh, I'm working on this game. It's a uh, roguelike about spellcasting. You know, does anyone want to play test it and let me watch them play it on Discord, basically? So I did that for a while, and like the next natural step up from that was to do early access. I mean, I could have gone from that to just doing like um, full release on Steam, but I, f- I kind of I felt like I'd be skipping some steps, and I um, it's like I'd rather get feedback, you know, first from one person, then from ten people, then from twenty people, then from a hundred people, versus going from like, well, I got feedback from five people, now let me just like tell tell the world that this game is complete and give it to like everyone. Yeah, that would have been like a weird way to do things. And I also, um, I feel like having the early access tag on the game was kind of this disclaimer saying like, hey, I might make massive changes to this game because this game's not finished. So like, that's just like something, I think that's something that people will understand if you do it during early access more than if you do it during um, full launch. Like the big, the two big examples were the, um, the two level scouting removal and the, uh, I made a big change to how shrines worked early on. Like shrines used to used to be these things that would um, improve the numbers of a spell. And you can stack as many of them on one spell as you want. So like the meta when the game worked like that was to pick a spell and make that spell your main thing and put all the shrines on that spell. And that was that was like not my vision for the game. But some people like some people were a little bit sad to see that aspect of the game go. But because the game was in early access. Um, I think people understood a little bit more that the game was still in flux and still changing. And also there just weren't like putting early access, putting the early access tag on your game kind of restricts how many people it like restricts the number of people who are actually going to see your game on steam, which is the um, that's like the benefit and the drawback of making your game early access. I think people have had varied experiences with launching from early access to full game. Like some people have said, they ha- they saw no effect, you know, like they, they click the button, the game becomes full game and like nothing is different. Uh, for me again, like I saw, I saw a huge increase in the, um, like the number of steam store impressions. I saw a huge increase, uh, which just led to a, a huge increase in the, in the number of sales, huge increase in the number of people, uh, giving me feedback on the game in discord. I would probably, if I was doing another game, I'd probably do it exactly the same way. I'd probably start with a very limited group of friends and then I would probably move on to a larger closed beta and then move on to um, move on to early access. I, th- I think having like a 10 month or 12 month or however long period of early access is very, it's like very helpful because you don't want to go from, um, I think if you went from having a really small group of testers to having a really big group of people, you would like start hearing feedback that you hadn't heard before you would hear it like very quickly and you wouldn't really like you wouldn't have a lot of time to change the game too because like your game is out and your game is marked as finished people are like forming their opinions of it they're talking about it and you might like miss out on a lot of opportunities to improve your game before people before the majority of gamers had made up their mind on it and so i think i would I think for future projects, I'll probably do exactly what I did with Rift Wizard. I think it's definitely the way to go. Cool. I'm glad that worked for you. And and I think just from as an outside observer, it looked like to me the Rift Wizard early access worked really well. Um, I you, you set a, a roadmap up so people knew kind of what they were getting, what was going to be changing in the game from the start um, as far as the big design elements. Oh, yeah, yeah, the roadmap. Yeah, it's like I think... 
one of the hardest parts of early access is like you want to be um uh, what's the word you want to be like sincere about it like you want to um you want to really be willing to take feedback and change your game and like if you really are willing to take feedback and change your game players will will really appreciate that because then they are like they will sense that they are legitimately part of the development process and if they're excited about their game then that's very exciting for them so i think that's really important i think um and then the other thing is i think so like i released that roadmap and as of today i have done about 75 percent of the items on that roadmap but a lot of the items on that roadmap i got to the point where i was about to do them and i looked at them and i said you know this made a lot of sense in september in 2020 but like now where the game is now, it's kind of like it's really in another place. And like what the game needs is totally unrelated to this. And like some of the things that I thought would be easy and no brainers on the roadmap turned out to be like really hard things that would have taken massive development efforts and just not not as good uses of development time as other things that I hadn't even thought of at the time. So, yeah, the roadmap is interesting. I'm not I'm not totally sure I would do the roadmap exactly the same. I might like um like I might try to do a more agile like month by month like just maybe each month just post like these are the things that I think are big problems in the game and need to be improved and like this is the project that we're going to be working on next and like this is what's in the beta right now and this is um yeah these are the things that if you give feedback on these things these things are very likely to change and evolve so I might try something a little bit different than that um like kind of planning out the next nine months of development just you know in that little PNG file. Yeah, that makes sense because, as you said, how do you know what will be best for the game in nine months? It's very hard, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I think it sounds like you're talking about like if you do like a monthly update or something, it's almost like an evolving kind of roadmap, um, a little more like short term. Yeah. But I, I think the just kind of setting the player's expectations and making sure that they know that you're working on the game um, and yeah, changing definitely. it and taking feedback in um, is a big part of that. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, I think with early access, uh, there's definitely like a group of players and especially like games like this that, well, even complete roguelikes are constantly adapting and changing. So like look at DCSS is like <laughs> reinventing oh, totally, yeah. itself every six months <laughs> um, in a lot it of does, ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think there's a, definitely an audience of players that, that likes being part of that process and getting to experience totally. all the changes and watching the game evolve. And um, even we have to step out of traditional roguelikes a bit to, to see more like a larger sample size of early access games. Um, That's so true. I'll look yeah, at the, the non-traditional games, like when like maybe card battlers. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say like slay the spire was in early access and, um, and stuff like that. And, and yeah, people love just, you know, being part of that process. And especially when um, the devs are actually taking feedback and, and you have a really active feedback channel. You actually have, more than one on your discord for the game i do yeah it's hard to organize <laughs> it's hard organizing a discord discord is a discord's a funny app because it's like a very disorganized conversation system like everyone's kind of replying to like different things it's all on top of each other it's like the opposite of reddit where everything is threaded and categorized and like three people can respond to someone and then he can respond to each of them individually and then that can branch out even further yeah, I'm in a lot of Discord channels. I actually like hit the limit somehow, which people find <laughs> d disbelievable. <laughs> oh, I can see how that would have it. No, I can see how you could you could do that. It's not like I'm like active in all of them every day, but uh, yeah. yeah, I've seen them 
I've seen discords that have like a hundred channels on them and ones that have like three and like there's everything in between yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's hard to find what, what you need for your, your discord, because if you fracture the, the channels too much for as far as like what falls into the topic of a channel, it makes it so like you can't talk about as much in there and like, it's not as active. So there's not yeah. as much going on. So yeah, it's, it. <laughs> It's it's definitely yeah. something interesting to to see when you're in as many discords as I am, and <laughs> you see how they're all run and managed. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I think early access worked really well for for Rift Wizard, and I wasn't playing actively the entire time, but I I dipped in a lot whenever there was changes, and it was kind of cool to see how everything was, and I always like seeing what the players how they're reacting to to things, and I I think it worked really well for the game. It's cool to hear your experience with that there. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, so. At the core of Rift Wizard, you're you're a wizard, and you have this giant spellbook we've been talking about. And I, I got to say, Rift Wizard has some of the most original spell designs that I've really ever seen in a game. Oh, thank you. It's not like you have a fireball and it does this, and Rift Wizard has that. But some of the spells like, <laughs> have really crazy effects, and some of them almost have like um, like a sequence of effects, and like some of them are like rather niche, and some of them are like really variable and like open ended, and um it it just seems like really cool to see all these different ideas they're not just what you'd expect from like spells in a normal game so I, i'm kind of curious what your process is for coming up with these spells like how you came up with all of them um, if you have like a certain process that you use when you're creating a spell like if you start from a certain point with most of them um, and also i imagine that you kind of view the game sometimes like what is it missing and kind of like fill that hole with like a new spell design or something so if you just talk about that process a bit i think that'd be really interesting yeah for sure i think um so i think the way basically the way it works is i have a different creative process for every spell that i've put in the game wow Whatever the process is kind of determines what the spell is going to be. So like the way that Fireball was created was Fireball was the first spell because I knew I was making a game about wizards and like what's like if I think of wizards and spells for me, the first thing I think of is Fireball. And then immediately after that, I would have to do Lightning Bolt because, you know, you need Fireball and Lightning Bolt. Those are like the two most basic wizard spells. And then a lot of the spells were um, a lot of the early spells were like me exploring some mechanic like a. Uh, there was a teleport spell. Teleport was very early because I wanted to, um, you know, just like have the code that lets you like move yourself around with a spell. Then there was um, like you mentioned, like filling in gaps. That is ab- that is a very common way of way I think I've had of developing a spell because it's um, again with like all the design of the game kind of being like twisted together. Like because of the circle mechanic, it's really interesting to have spells that are like a fire lightning spell or a dark ice spell or whatever. So I've spent a lot, I've like spent a lot of time trying to, trying to think of spells that like, like what is a fire lightning spell? Well, pyrostatic pulse, that's a fire. It's, you know, it shoots a beam of fire surrounded by lightning. Cause what else would a fire lightning spell do? Um, yeah. And then some of them, I guess some of the spells are much more, I wanted to have a mix of very general spells like fireball and then hyper specific spells that are like only useful in certain situations, but are super useful in those situations. Like, um, like blinding light, which is a site that, uh, blinds everything in your line of sight. So if you're surrounded by ranged enemies, then you won't die the next turn if you cast blinding light. Yeah. I think the, the most interesting spell design story was probably bone barrage, which is a spell that sacrifices a portion of the health of all your summons 
to shoot shoot physical projectiles, you know, bones presumably from those summons to whatever you're targeting. That was like um that's one of the most complex designs in the game. And that came from me playing a run where I had a conjuration built. I was summoning a bunch of stuff and I died on a level because I couldn't I couldn't like burst down uh, a fairy queen. Fairy queens if you have not encountered them have relatively high hit points and also regenerate and heal themselves and teleport around. So they are they are very hard to kill with a pack of wolves, which is just moving one square at a time and then biting people for some damage. No matter how tough your wolves are, it's very hard to kill fairy queens with them. And yeah, I think I was like walking through the woods and I like saw some bones or something and then I just got on like the topic of bone barrage. I kind of thought about like... um. Like Diablo 2 is a game that I've played quite extensively as well, and there's a spell called Bone Spear in Diablo 2. But Bone Spear in Diablo 2 is basically just Lightning Bolt. And I was trying to think about, like, you know, what would make Bone Spear fundamentally different from Lightning Bolt? So, like, one thing I did a lot in the creative process was I thought about spells that I thought were cool in other games, but were kind of disappointing. Like, Chain Lightning is a spell that almost every game has Chain Lightning. But in most games, Chain Lightning is, like, very limited, so like I wanted to make an unlimited chain lightning, and that ended up ended up being very interesting. That bone spear is a, a great example because in a lot of games, you, like you said, it's basically just a, like a lightning bolt that does a different type of damage. Yeah. And and Rift Wizard isn't full of spells that are just like okay, here's a single yeah. target high damage spell. Here's a, a beam spell that hits everything in a line for less damage. Here's a a circular yeah. spell, and so it's not like you have twelve iterations of fireball that do different elemental damage. Like everything, kind of has its unique role. Yeah, I really tried to avoid having like the eleven different fireball variants. I mean, there are a good number of spells that just deal damage, but i i try to I try to say like, it's like all right, I have lightning bolt and I have void beam. Like, no more beams, no more beams unless they're like different and unique in some way. Like, I don't want to add like holy beam and dark beam, which are basically the same, or like and flame beam to the game. Like, I want to make sure that each spell has its own identity and its own role. And so I guess I I was always pushing myself to, like, when I had an idea for a spell, to think about how is this spell going to be differentiated from other spells? And like, how is the gameplay of this spell going to be different from other spells? And if you want that other element, a lot of the, the more basic spells have upgrades that allow you to make them do other elements of damage. Uh, that's part of the, the upgrade overhaul you did a while back, I think. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the upgrade system actually... That also kind of pushed me away from doing, um, like, you can't have Fireball, Fireball 2, and Fireball 3, and then also have all those different Fireballs have upgrades, because then Fireball 1 just, like, it just upgrades into Fireball 3. You know, Fireball 3 is not really a different spell at that point. Yeah, and, um, like, I know one example of a spell that comes to mind is, what is it, Ghost Ball? Ah, Ghost Ball, yeah, that's a fun one. It does, yep. like, just single target damage, and then there might be a small AoE, but then it summons, like, ghosts around the target as well, so now you have, like, these kind of, like, weak summons that are gonna, they're, like, they're resistant yeah. to physical damage, and they'll they'll plunk away at your, your enemy. So, like, there's, like, a lot of fun stuff like that, or, um, I like the Prison of Thorns spell. Oh, yeah, that one's super cool, yep. I can tell you how, where that one came from, actually. That one was gonna be Entangle. And then I was like implementing a status effect, which, you know, like prevent someone from moving, but allow them to cast. And I was like, you know what? It would be cooler if you just physically surrounded them by vines. Because Entangle is like, that's a spell in a lot of games. That's like a D&D spell. Everyone heard, everyone's heard of Entangle. It's a classic, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. like a lot of, a lot of stuff was just like, I know this spell from another game. Like, what does this spell mean if it's a Rift Wizard spell? 
Yeah, Prison of Thorns was one where that was on my improviser list when I was playing um, after you had added that. And it's very versatile. Yeah, I was really excited about the, the improviser stuff. So I was sharing like my spell list on, on my Discord and stuff and talking to other people about nice. it. And yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm building around Prison of Thorns. And none of us thought it would be like that amazing. <laughs> but it actually turned out to be pretty damn good in, in the right situations. That spell was very overpowered at one point. I think like right before early access, that spell was out of control. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there and there aren't spells that are like good in every situation, but pretty much every spell is good in some situation. Yes, that is the goal. That is definitely the goal. I mean, I even try to take spells. Like if I, if someone points out that a spell is good in every situation, it makes the game easy. I'll probably like try to limit that spell in some way in the next patch so that it's not like drowning out all the other spells. But yeah, how Prison of Thorns works is it? It you pick a an enemy and it surrounds them all the adjacent tiles with these thorn enemies that attack and they're kind of tanky so they can't move. So it's like a really good crowd control. But what's really interesting is if the enemies are grouped together, they'll form a block and then your thorns will go around the whole chain of enemies as long as it's not like a broken gap without an enemy. So if you can get like a long line of enemies or like a, just a mass of enemies, you can create like a ton of these thorns and then you can upgrade them to have like ranged attacks so now you have like That's these right, turrets yeah. like all over the map and like they get different elements and can do different status effects and stuff. It, that, yeah, that was a really fun one. And I think it's another good example of some of these interesting spells that the game has. Yeah, Prison of Thorns, I, th- I think that's one of the best designs. Yeah, I liked, I liked that one a lot. So how many spells are in the game right now? And h- how many did you think there would be when you first started? Because I, I have a feeling you may have exceeded that number. Oh, good question. Good question. Let me... Let me see, actually. I got to open up the source code real quick to check that out. Mm, live source diving. I love it. <laughs> yeah, always a, always a great idea. <laughs> I think there are about 140 spells. There's like some commented out spells in there. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're all like hand tailored, like we were just talking about. Yeah, like they're all their own block of code. And then each one has multiple upgrade pads that will turn it into a completely different spell in some cases. I definitely wanted there to be over 100 because I wanted to like list as one of the features over 100 spells. <laughs> I feel like a hundred, so I feel like 100 was the minimum. Okay, so you're, you're about where you thought you would be because you, you wanted to make sure yeah. you hit that mark. <laughs> it's, it's really fun making spells. Like that is the most fun. The most fun part of Rift Wizard development is making spells and uh, passive skills. I would just I would make spells all day if there was no if I didn't have to like fix bugs and you know figure out why the game doesn't run on certain people's computers and stuff like that which is my priority right now after lunch and um actually the other the the hardest dilemma with making new spells is like every time I add a spell to the game the game becomes a little bit harder for new players you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I try to restrain myself a little bit but I don't know. I mean, I think there will eventually, there will probably eventually be 200 spells in Rift Wizard. That would be my guess. Yeah. And, and, and there's almost as many skills as well, right? Yeah. How many skills are there? I can do the, do the same calculation. There are definitely a lot. There are not as many skills as there are spells because skills are a little bit harder to think of than spells. It's, it's still more than one page in game, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's definitely, it's like one and a half pages in game, I think. It's like um like they're like seventy skills. Cool, cool, and and yeah, the the skills are as original as the spells too. A lot of them do like really kind of like wild niche things. I feel like yeah, that's why it's so hard to think of them sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, 
it's harder to think of skills than spells for sure. And it's easier to make like broken overpowered skills than broken, broken overpowered spells. You can always like decrease the number of charges of the spell. And it's hard to have a broken spell that has a max charges of one, but it's, you know, it's, it's easy to have a skill that just like doubles all the damage you deal forever and makes the game trivial. Totally. Yeah. Cause they're just, they're, they're passive and you don't have charges for them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I love some of the skills. I definitely, um, I'm very proud of like uh, Crackle Void. I'm very cra- proud of. That's one of my favorites. Uh, void Thorns. You want to tell people what those ones do? Oh, yeah, yeah. Crackle Void is whenever you deal arcane damage, it creates two arcing lightning bolts that deal the same amount of damage, not to the creature you dealt the arcane damage to, but to creatures besides them. So that's like, it's a very interesting skill to play around with because if you can, if you have a build that only deals arcane damage, you can maybe kill monsters that are immune to arcane damage with Crackle Void, but it's going to be difficult. So that is, and I've had a lot of fun, a lot of fun levels where I'm like trying to scoot by with like a few monsters that I can only damage with Crackle Void procs. So I have to like herd the monsters carefully to make sure that the lightning bounces from the creatures that I can hurt directly to the creatures that I cannot hurt directly. It sounds like that's what I needed to to kill those gnomes with magic missile. Yeah, actually, that would be a per- that would be a great thing to get with uh with magic missile to kill gnomes. Definitely, it makes your single target arcane spells multi target, and there are like a lot of strong single target uh, arcane spells. Yeah, so that, it's cool how the the skills augment your your spells and and stuff like that. What was the other one you mentioned? Void thorns or oh, void thorns is pretty cool. It just makes it gives all of your uh demons and undead i think it just gives them a like arcane thorns aura so like once if people hit them then they take arcane damage so that can like like you were talking about ghost ball earlier you can have ghost ball the way i thought about ghost ball is it's like that kind of is the dark equivalent of fireball but it's like if a space isn't filled with an enemy with ghost ball you get this ghost but the ghost is not very useful the ghost has like low hit points doesn't deal a lot of damage it deals dark damage, which is kind of interesting because you can hit physical immune enemies or fire immune enemies or like, you know, it's, it's an unusual damage type in Rift Wizard. But then if you get void spikes, now your ghosts are kind of like these, um, these like lures where if like if monsters hit your ghosts, now they take a bunch of arcane damage and they'll probably kill the ghosts. But then you can make a lot of ghosts with, with ghost ball. That's really cool. And the ghosts, are they fully physical immune or mostly? So like they're fully physical immune. Yeah. And the enemies aren't smart, right? They'll keep attacking them sometimes or no, they are smart about immunity. They will not attack things they're immune to. So you won't be able like monsters, which have physical damage will not fall for the ghost ball, uh, void spikes trap, sorry, void thorns trap. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Cause otherwise you'd have, um, like a, that would make things a little easy if the enemies were just like not doing anything because they were attacking something immune. Yeah, the game did work like that for a while and it was it was just stupid. Like you would um it's very easy to get something which is immune to physical damage. And you could like like when enemies would do that, you could just make a physical immune summon. Like uh you can make your earth elemental physical immune, you can make a uh, lightning drake physical immune pretty easily. And you would just like throw one out there and it would absorb like all the aggro on the level because it would be closer. It would be within spell range of a lot of enemies that you weren't within spell range of and they would just hit it and deal no damage in it. Yeah. That's like one of the few things I try to keep the AI as simple as possible. Like I try to even keep the AI to the point where you can predict what it's going to do, but that is like the one smart thing that the AI will do. Yeah. That, that, that works well with the game for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So I feel like we touched on it a bit, but like the, the synergies between all these spells and the skills are like really 
a big crux of the game. Oh, for sure, yeah. We already talked about your favorite spells. Um, do you have any favorite synergies um, in the game? Hmm, favorite synergies. I really like Nightmare Crackle Void. I just find it fun to like see a million damage procs every turn. How, how does Nightmare work again? Nightmare is it deals every turn, it deals two damage to all monsters within a certain distance of you, irregardless of line of sight or you know anything between you and the monster. And that damage is randomly either arcane or dark. Oh, that that's like an aura, right? It's an aura. And it lasts for like it's like very low damage, but it lasts a long time. Cool. So it's like turn inefficient, charge efficient. And um, Crackle Void kind of like adds a bunch of lightning to it. So I find that one very fun. Um, I'm a big fan of trying to do stuff. I think I mentioned Plague of Filth earlier. I'm a big fan of trying to do stuff with Plague of Filth. Like Plague of Filth plus Icy Vengeance is one of my favorites. Plague of Filth plus um, Venom Spit, also pretty fun. How does the Icy Vengeance work? That does like um, damage when they die? Yeah, whenever one of your minions dies, it deals half its health as ice damage to a random unit within... I think four spaces. I could be wrong in the radius. I forget. Yeah, and the the plague of filth summons what flies. They're like pretty weak. Yeah, but it it summons very weak monsters. Which normally, like one of the big problems with plague of filth is that if there's any monster on the level that deals AOE damage, he will kill your creatures as fast as you're spawning them because they have very little health. But this this it almost this like turns plague of filth into this like ice machine gun spell. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. One that comes to my mind that just popped in my head because um, it's kind of similar to to that is I think this is something that came up because I was doing the improviser and I, I think I had those those mushrooms that do poison damage. Ah, yes, the mushroom or mush. I think those are called mushrooms. I forget if they're called mushrooms or not. Yeah, it's, yeah, they do the damage when they die, right? They do like a yes. explosion AOE like poison thing, and and they're not one of the hardest spells to make useful in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think I've seen a lot of players just say like this spell sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. But, <laughs> they're right, it does suck. But it, as part of my, <laughs> but that's what makes it cool. Yeah, as part of my thing, I was like, well, I'm gonna build around mush booms this time. <laughs> And I, I think I had the, there's a spell that makes poisoned enemies, like, do AOE damage around them, like, based on how much poison they had. Combust poison, yeah, yeah. Yeah, combust poison. So, like, I used those two, and it was really fun <laughs> for a while. Yeah. So that was, like, a cool, oh, yeah, a cool a thing, is, like, getting these, like, dumb mushrooms to, like, you basically let yep. them die to stack poison damage on enemies, and use this other spell to turn their poison damage into, like, AOE um, fire damage. Um, really cool stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. There's no, there's really nothing in the game that ever makes that mushroom summoning spell the best option, but it's, like, still, I'm still very happy to have that spell in the game, because it's such a fun challenge. Like, can I get value out of mushroom summoning this run? Like, can I, can I actually figure out how to do that? Yeah, and summons in general are pretty strong. So even having weak summons to just like tank some hits or stall yeah. enemies because they still have to spend a turn like attacking them is pretty pretty powerful. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Are there any synergies that players have discovered or like that you would have just never foresaw like like people oh, yeah. like breaking the game with like different combinations of spells and such? Everything involving all of the infinite charge generation combos that players found were unexpected to me. And players have found quite a few infinite charge generation combos. I've definitely sought those out before. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That was a big one. Um, there you, there was, yeah, there was some stuff with um, like Arc Lightning and Heaven's Wrath. And like, it turns out that it's really good to just like hat combine a bunch of spells that destroy monsters outside of your line of sight and if you have like a critical mass of those you can just like 
you can like avoid you can like avoid playing the game just by hiding in a corner and um unloading all of this long range artillery and like i never thought of that stuff as synergistic with itself but it was i like how um the enemies that have arc lightning will do the same to you <laughs> sometimes <laughs> well actually i hate it sometimes too but it's it's a pretty clever thing the elf lightning artisans i believe yes yeah, i think that's what i'm thinking of I, i've had a hell of a time with those guys before <laughs> yeah those are fun so at one point in rift wizard development conjurations were super super powerful because there just weren't any enemies that dealt area damage. And then um, I remember one day I added lightning artists, elf lightning artists, and orc pyromancers to the game. And all of a sudden, conjurations were not so good anymore. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun way to, to balance it. Yeah, like I think, I think it's definitely cool if the enemies in the game have like something... Like they can't have exactly the same tools as the player because like the enemies are kind of in a different situation than the player. But it's definitely cool if the enemies do things that are as varied and interesting as the player. Something I'll forget sometimes, um, and regret forgetting about it, is that like I'll I'll be like positioning myself and think I'm safe, and then if there's like an enemy around the corner that has like a like a five range tile AOE like fireball or something, they'll actually like even if they can't target you, they'll target a tile that's like near you. They will that yeah. they can see even if you're in the corner, and then they'll blast you with the AOE. So, and that's something well, that that's the player the trick would the do. Players using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's and and they'll surprise me like that sometimes because you think you're like out of sight and then you're safe, but no, these guys are gonna get you around the yep. corner, and the the enemies can be really clever in that way. A lot of the early gameplay of Rift Wizard, especially before it had like complicated upgrades and synergies and everything, was just hiding around a corner and um, nuking stuff around the corner with like chain lightning or fireball. And I was like, you know what? The enemies should eventually, like the enemies on level two should not do that to you, but eventually the enemies should do that too. And you should have to like figure out something more complex than that. Yeah. And it's just like a new layer to, that you have to play around and build around as a player. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. We talked about a lot of the mechanics in this game. Rift Wars is a really cool game. Um, oh, thank you. Do you plan on, it sounds like you, you do plan on continuing to update it because you said you wanted more spells and such. Um, so now that it's been fully released, um, what what are your plans, I guess? Oh, yeah, definitely. I definitely want to keep... Um, I, I definitely want to do a couple more patches. I um, The first thing I want to... I mean, like, for the next few weeks, I'm just going to be very focused on bugs and tech support, probably. So I'm not going to... There, there will be a little bit of a slowdown, I think. But I would definitely like to explore adding more spells and um, and especially more passive skills. I think there could be some more cool passive skills. There's... um, I don't think... I don't think I'll keep working on Rift Wizard for like 10 years, you know? I think it'll be more of like, um, I kind of want to like think, eventually think of this as a finished product and then move on to some, uh, like I have a lot of other ideas for games that I'd like to work on at some point. But yeah, I think yeah. there are a few more patches that could be cool. Awesome, yeah. I was going to ask that if you had another any other games in mind next or any plans for, for post-Rift Wizard. Oh yeah, totally. I, I'm like always tossing around game ideas in my head. I um I would love to work on a game. There're like some basic mechanics in Rift Wizard or like some basic design decisions that I would love to like go back to, make them the other way and then like see how the game develops from there. Like um like in Rift Wizard you control one unit. It would be interesting to see like well what would a what would like a similar, you know, systems combat customization focused game be like if you controlled a party of units. Oh wow, you'd end up with like a almost like a party-based tactics kind of kind of deal yeah i don't even know if i could if you could call it a roguelike it might be more like um 
like Final Fantasy Tactics or something, mm-hmm. if you went in that direction. And then uh, I would explore, I would be open to exploring something where like random loot drops played a bigger role. Because I think, um, I think the idea of like, like random magical artifacts dropping and then trying to like adjust your build around that is is very interesting and no game like very i've i haven't really played a game that i felt like totally explored that mechanic like there's um i'm like so disappointed with loot drops and like action rpgs where like there's just this giant flood of loot and none of it really does anything interesting um you know going back to dcss kind of does a good job with that with like you get like a small number of very interesting drops so I think I think a game about like party members and equipping them with items. I don't know. This is like not a very attractive pitch for the game. <laughs> These are like super basic mechanics, but that is, those are two mechanics I would love to explore in the future. Post Rift Wizard. Hey, all all games start start from a simple simple idea, and and I think both of those sound awesome to be to be honest. So and I might have I might have totally different ideas six six months from now. It's um one of the big things I did with Rift Wizard was. I like refused to quit my job until I had the same idea for a game for like three months straight. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's great. (laughs) Cool. I I look forward to to seeing any projects you work on in the future. Oh, for sure. I'll keep you updated. Yeah. All right. Uh, That was a fun talk. I guess we'll work towards wrapping up this, this episode. Um, uh, Do you have any closing thoughts on uh, Rift Wizard? Uh, I think we, we've covered it pretty in depth. I mean, just, um, you know, if you're into like, if you're into character customization, if you're into combat and kind of the like really strategic element of roguelikes, give it a, give it a try would be my advice. Yeah, totally. Um, I completely agree with that. And I'll, I'll definitely link the Steam page. Is it available on any other platforms right now or? No, it's just, it's just Steam right now. That's the big one. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll link the Steam page and I'd recommend if people own it or pick it up and enjoy it to definitely go and review it, which is huge for indie games on Steam right now. And um, if you've reviewed it in early access, you'll want to update your review for it to be a uh, full release uh, review because they're tracked differently. So um, th- those elements are huge, and it, it takes a, a few seconds to really just go and do that. So And it, it means a lot, and it helps a lot for visibility of the game. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, so I'd recommend that players go ahead and do that if they can. Yeah, that's very helpful, definitely. All right, well, we pushed back the roguelike news, and I don't want to talk about any of these in depth, but I'll just mention, um, of course, Rift Wizard was released. Um, Ultimate Adom was released probably about two weeks ago from when I'll release this episode. So that's another traditional roguelike. And Roguelike Celebration had its uh, initial batch of like speakers announced, and tickets are on sale. It's going to be another virtual event. It's in the middle of October, I believe. I'll drop links to all of this in the the episode notes and uh dylan's actually going to be giving a talk on there i don't know if you want to share anything about that a little teaser or anything yeah i will be talking about spell spell costs and resource mechanics which actually turns out to be a fascinating and a very important facet of roguelike design yeah you are probably incredibly well versed in that topic at this point <laughs> yeah i've actually so I tr- i've tried quite a few i don't want to steal thunder from uh from the talk but i tried quite a few different systems for rift wizard and uh yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff there Awesome. And, and yeah, Roguelike Celebration is a blast. It's it's a lot of fun, a lot of good talks. The the list so far looks awesome. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be awesome. All right, let's uh let's wrap up the episode. And um uh, yeah, Dylan, do you wanna 
let people know where they can find you. Like, I'll, I'll definitely plug your your Discord for Rift Wizard. Um, anything else you want to share? Or any final words you want people to know? Yeah, I mean, the Discord Discord is the main place that I interact with uh, Rift Wizard players. I'm trying to I'm trying to look a little bit more at the um, the Steam community forums, but that is a uh, it's a little bit more awkward for me to for me to view those than to view the Discord. Yeah, if you uh, if anyone wants to talk about the game or has feedback on the game or wants to talk to some people who play the game, just come to the Discord. Yeah, that that Discord's been a it's active and there's been a lot of people rushing in now that the full release is there. The the general channel is like full of people joining. It's great to see. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, that is it for the show. Dylan, it's been a, a huge pleasure to have you here. This has been a really fun chat. Yeah, this was super fun, man. Thanks for the invite. Well, thanks everyone again. And I'll catch you guys next time on the next episode of Ascension Run.